to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia, and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the podcast. I'm your host, Meg Durham, and I cannot believe we're getting closer to episode 100. 100 episodes feels like such a big milestone. To create one 45-minute episode takes at least 8 to 10 hours work. And so to be able to have said that I have created 100 is so mind-boggling. It's almost surreal. I don't even know how it's happened. Honestly, each week I have just been so excited to share a conversation with you. And today is no exception. Today we're going to be exploring how we can move through adversity because one thing I know for sure is that none of us are immune to challenge. As we get older, life seems to get a little more complex. When I was younger, I thought life would get easier the older I get. And I'm slowly starting to figure out that yes, some things get easier, but a lot of things get much more complicated. So how do we navigate? How do we navigate the inevitable challenges of life? Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Rebecca Christensen. Rebecca is a founder and director of Thriving People Consulting. She is an executive coach, leadership facilitator, consultant, and speaker. Over the years, she has partnered with executive teams across the private, public, and higher education sectors to build leadership capability and implement organizational change. She is a trusted advisor to executives known for her warmth and authenticity yet the ability to hold the mirror up to challenge thinking with a positive intent. One of her superpowers is stretching leaders to the edge of their thinking to support mindset shifts. This is with the view to increase their self-awareness, influence, effectiveness, focus and well-being. Rebecca has a psychology background bringing a deep people expertise to the table and remains endlessly curious about what makes others tick. She's an Adelaide Hills dweller who loves being surrounded by trees, has a passion for travel and daily meditation. In this conversation, we discuss the impact of being diagnosed with breast cancer at age 38, how we can move through adversity, why focusing on what you can control matters, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rebecca Christensen. Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you for being here. It's wonderful to have this opportunity to speak to you today. Today, we're going to be talking about how we can move through adversity by shifting into a thriving mindset. What do you hope teachers will gain from listening to this conversation? I think there are three takeaways I would love people to take from today. 
So one is that adversity is just a part of life and it's our response to these challenging times that really enable us to thrive. Secondly is that adversity provides us with the opportunity to reflect and reassess our life and so there can be actually hidden benefits when we go through a trying time. And thirdly, I would love people to take some practical tips as well that will enable them to help themselves or help someone else who's going through a challenge. Yeah, it's very true that adversity is a part of life. I haven't met anybody who's had an easy run. Exactly. We often fight challenging times, don't we? We curse them and it's challenging. We have to dig deep. But there's so much growth and learning that can come from these times. And my mission at the moment is to help people focus on the learning rather than the hardship. So when it comes to facing adversity, how important is our mindset? Our mindset is critical in our ability to be able to thrive. And and I know that myself from my own experience. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 38. So that was five years ago. And I was in an executive position. So I was in quite a senior role. And up to that point, I had been someone who was very, very ambitious. So I was someone who moved very quickly up the corporate ladder and I was driven by a sense of feeling not good enough and and high-functioning anxiety and I was a people pleaser. But I gave a lot to my job. So people around me, my bosses liked me because I gave so much to my job and I ran on adrenaline and burnt myself out many times and then I got diagnosed with breast cancer. And so for me, that provided the opportunity to stop living my life on fast forward and to deeply reflect on what I wanted to do with my one wild and precious life. And breast cancer forced me to do that, to take a good hard look at how I wanted to live. And my mindset was critical in that because there was the risk that I could have become quite bitter because I was quite young and people around me were living their life and then I had to go through treatment. But I chose to look for the learning and to want to come out a better person and change my life. And and I did that. And it was because of my mindset that I'm in such a good place now. So when we're thinking about mindset, what's really the distinction between a surviving mindset and a thriving mindset? So when we're in a surviving mindset, we're just coping, you know, we're continuing to exist and we're often enduring We often feel like that we're um, just treading water. We might feel a bit like we're drowning at times. And for me, it feels like we're not evolving, we're stuck. And whereas with a thriving mindset, you know, we're growing and we're flourishing in life. We're evolving our mindset and we're doing things differently over a period of time. And and we feel a much greater sense of satisfaction and, and, and happiness with life. And so... After my experience, when there was enough space, I wanted to really think about what did I do that got me through that challenging time? Because I was often asked by people, why are you not bitter? You're so happy. But you had breast cancer when you were 38. And I thought, what did I do? And I have a psychology background, so I had a little bit of an advantage to some degree. But I sat down and looked at what I did. And there were six key mindset shifts that I realized that I decided to shift to move me from being in survival mode to being in thriving. It'd be really interesting to explore some of those deliberate decisions you made. Which one would you like to begin with? I think the first one is when adversity strikes, it's just really easy to feel out of control. And sometimes we get quite stuck and we're not able to see that we have personal agency to be able to change. 
And when we're in survival mode, we often have what we call an external locus of control where we feel like we can't control events internally, that there are external factors that are influencing our life. And if we stay in that way of thinking for long periods of time, we can get really stuck because it can mean that we feel really helpless. You know, we might have an inability to be able to prioritise and focus on small changes. And we actually have long-term risks of developing depression as well because we get stuck in this inertia and inaction. Whereas if we shift to thriving mode and we're able to identify our personal agency, then we have what we call an internal locus of control where we're able to work out, well, actually there are certain spheres in my life that I can control and I'm going to focus on those and I'm going to enact positive change. And I think it's that decision to realise, okay, I can't control this, but I can control this part. And for me, in my experience of having cancer was there were so many things I couldn't control, like the treatment and how my body was coping and lots of things, but I could look after my wellbeing. And so I decided to focus on that. That's all I could control. And I was a people pleaser. I was a big hearted human, like a lot of your listeners who give so much to other people and to our team and to our peers and our family and friends that I had to learn to put boundaries in place. And that was what I could control. I could rest more. I could say no. I could sleep more. And I could stop people pleasing as much. And that helped me feel much more empowered. So I didn't feel as stuck. It is so true that when we are hit with these different life challenges, we can go into this feeling of, I've got no control. Life is happening to me. And even in work, we can feel like the system is happening to me. I can't do anything until the system changes. And so to tap into our personal agency, that's quite a skill. And it also opens a door to a new way of being. It's a new way of seeing yourself in the world as well at times because we've all had adversity happen. We all, you know, some of us have been made redundant or gone through divorce or had the death of someone close, you know, or just had a really, really stressful time at work where we feel like we're just not able to control the, the amount of work or the expectations put on us. You know, we've all had times where we've gone through some of those. And being able to tap into our own ability and our own priorities. And often it's making small changes in life that can really help us tap into our personal power. It's not always big changes. It's the small things that really add up. They have that cascading effect. So what were some of the small changes that you made that had a big impact? So some of the ones, like I mentioned before, which was that I stopped saying yes to lots of social occasions. So I was someone that would always say yes to family and friends or always take the call from someone. I have a psychology background. It does lend me to being a pretty good listener and helping people put things in perspective. So I had to stop giving so much and I had to start giving to myself. So not taking calls from friends and family was a really big thing for me, less social things going to bed earlier, exercising, leaving work earlier because I, I happened to, I chose to work through a lot of my treatment. So I had to be really kind to myself. And you speak a lot about how we look after ourselves and it's all the small things. It's the three days a week, I'm leaving work at five o'clock. You know, it's giving yourself those small goals that over a period of six months really helped me feel much more in control. And when you look back at your pre-cancer self, would that version of you have taken these kinds of actions? No, but I wanted to though, Meg. I wanted to so deeply. And so there was a part of me that felt like 
my inside wishes and wants for my life like weren't matching my outside behavior. And I know that you've read you know, a lot of Glennon Doyle's work as well. And she talks, speaks about, you know, our inside selves matching our outside behavior. And I always feel like that was incongruence for me. And so in some ways, I just see breast cancer as like one of the best things that happened to me because it gave me an opportunity to put the things I'd always wanted to put into practice into place. It's like I was put, always like pinned to a wall to say, well, you can't operate in this way anymore. And, and so here's an opportunity to make the changes you've always wanted to make. And it was hard. You know, it wasn't all easy at all, but I chose to look at it that way. It's so interesting that you can articulate that inside you are hoping to make these changes or you're probably flirting with the idea of taking better care of yourself, but you just couldn't get there. But with this major adversity, it's like this is giving me permission to do all those things that I wanted to do because there's a reason now. And a part of me wishes I could have made those changes without having such a challenging event happen. But, you know, that was the way it was meant to be for my life. So it gave me this sense of, I've got a good reason now, like, and, and it's sad in some ways because we don't always need a good reason to look after ourselves. It's, but for me, as a chronic people pleaser, and now I call myself a recovering people pleaser, you know, still got tendencies there, but it helped me be able to tap into and listen to what my intuition and what I knew was right for me. And there's a lot of us out there, particularly people that are big-hearted and want to help and have kind, empathetic, sensitive people. That's really hard thing to do for us at times. Oh, it's so hard. When I work with teachers, we're often talking about how working harder and giving more is effortless, easy. The effort and the hard work is stepping back, giving to ourselves. Like That is courageous work. And when it comes to change, we know that there's inspiration that can get us there or desperation so it's always knocking and I think people don't realize how many people struggle in this area as well on the surface would look like they're coping really well and nailing it and not they're struggling with the same challenges where they feel this sense of not being good enough and they get their sense of worth from giving That's how they identify with how they provide value in the world and they put themselves last. Teachers give so much. So many of my um, close girlfriends are teachers and they give so much to students and and the school and not enough to themselves. Mm. Challenge. It's not good. Not good long-term for us. And this is why I share these conversations each week to slowly drip feed this idea that we can be well and teach well, that it doesn't have to be and either or, that I'm either giving everything or nothing to me, that we can make space for both. And so I'm curious to know, as we're working towards this thriving mindset, what was something else you discovered? I think the other part I discovered is that when we're going through a really challenging time, we often get stuck in wishing the time away. So we're often what I call biding time, where we're just waiting for the challenging time to be over. And so we end up struggling to accept some of the ambiguity that that takes place and we're almost in a holding pattern where we're we're thinking oh well I I'll make some changes when this thing goes away and this thing is always something that's external and it kind of links to my previous point where we're not always focusing on what we can control but we're biding time we're waiting for things to end and I know for me I had to at peace with the fact you know I had cancer and 
this was going to change the trajectory of my life. You know, my life wasn't going to be the same again. And for a while I fought it, like, why me? Why do I have to go through this? And I know I've got other people I work with or friends and family that when they're going through a hard time, why did this thing have to happen to me? You know, and it's created all this uncertainty. It's like throwing all the bits of my life up in the air and you're kind of waiting for them to fall down again. And so the thing that I found really helpful was to accept that ambiguity was a part of life and it's a part was going to be a part of my life for a period of time whilst I was experiencing this challenge. And that allowed me to sit in the experience and accept it rather than fight it, rather than wishing it away. And I think that fighting and us trying to pretend something's not happening or getting really annoyed at it takes up so much energy that we could be directing in another direction. That is so true. It takes so much energy to resist reality, to wish it to be a different way because it's just not. And then we can get a bit stuck again, can't we? We can get stuck in this in this waiting and we're in this survival mode so we're not accepting what's happening to us. And it's really, really important to, for us to shift to a thriving mindset. That acceptance actually brings so much peace. For me, when I just took a deep exhale, when I was like, okay, this is my life now. I don't love it, but this is where I am. And you think, oh, okay. So now I've got this headspace to focus on other areas and what I can do to help myself. And it is such a skill to be able to accept a life in that moment because as we grow up, we have this idea of what our life will look like and the idea is pretty much a fantasy. There's no details of everyday life. You think about major things like getting a new job, buying a new house, having children. It sounds great in our mind and in the future, but the reality of these situations is it's hard work and our brain's not really thinking about that. And so having the ability to accept that life doesn't turn out as we'd hoped, but then also we can have beautiful surprises and that wasn't a part of it either. So true. And I think that some of us have, and and I'm, I'm guilty of this, of having this desire to control and plan. You know, if we're ambitious or, you know, if we want to give a lot, then we have a sometimes a rigid mindset around how we think life should be or what should happen to us. And I think we can get lost in that then and not be able to accept the reality, as you said, and that actually so much of our life that is unplanned can be really beautiful. But if we stick to our plan, it can almost be like we're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole and we're just trying to shove it in to make our life be in a particular way. And sometimes there are other and better plans for us that we actually hadn't even imagined. But if we're fighting change, and change comes through adversity, then we don't always see those opportunities. And our vision is, is really narrow because we're not looking. And so I love this idea of moving away the survival mindset that tells us we just have to get through this. So in the teacher, they might be thinking, just to the end of this term, end of this school year, until I get long service leave, then things will settle down. So moving beyond that to this is where I'm at, what's possible here? Where's the curiosity? Where can I release the pressure and bring in joy and connection? Particularly change. You know, what are different ways of seeing the situation? Because I think people just get locked in certain ways of seeing the world and themselves. 
And so what's a different way of looking at this? So what's some different data I could consider? What's a different perspective? I think that's really important and we need that to be able to shift our mindset and see the world in a different way. Because if we don't evolve that, then we make our life smaller and smaller and more stressful. You know, we become a bit more bitter and resentful. And so having that agility in our thinking is critical. And as we're thinking about these topics, how important are the people around us as we're going through adversity? A great question. Just critical, absolutely critical. And for me, from my experience, I was someone who had quite a wide social network. I prided myself on having lots of family and friends. And what I learned is that actually not everyone's able to support you through going through a tough time. And there are multiple reasons why is that sometimes people can get stuck in what I call uh, what we call toxic positivity, where if you're going through a hard time, because of the movement in positive psychology, people have taken some phrases like, you just need to think positive and don't worry about it. Everything will be okay. You know, those sort of generic sayings, they've almost taken some of the positive psychology and um, twisted it a bit to say that we need to think positive all the time. Well, that's not the case because if we do that, we don't allow ourselves to embrace a wide range of emotions when we're going through something tough. And so what I learned when I was in survival mode, I was having a range of emotional reactions to my situation and I was struggling at times. And I would talk to a variety of people and sometimes I'd move away feeling worse. I think I felt terrible after that conversation and and with other people I would think oh they just sat with me they could sit with me in my grief and frustration they didn't feel like they had to try to make me feel better they knew that they couldn't do anything but they could show me peace and they could show me their ability to be vulnerable and just to be still and listen and I think that's a really critical skill that a lot of people just don't have So when we're in survival mode, sometimes we are not consciously creating and cultivating an effective social support that really helps us thrive. And so I had to learn that there were some people I just couldn't talk to about what I was going through. And that was really hard because some of them were close family and friends. And I felt like I had to tell people If they asked me, I felt like I should tell them the detail because, again, I was a people pleaser and and they were used to that from me as an extrovert who kind of vomits her life out to people. And I had to learn this skill of like containing what I shared and, and picking precious people and moments where I would do that because if I didn't, then I wasn't looking after my mental health and I was just left feeling like I was doing it wrong. I was doing the experience wrong because that's how some of the unhelpful people made me feel. Yes, I'm reflecting back on some difficult times that I've been through and it's enough trying to keep yourself together and the idea of trying to manage somebody else's emotion around it is just too great. So it's better just to avoid those conversations for a while because you don't want to be managing your own feelings about things and then other people's amplified feelings when you're sort of at a place of acceptance-ish. And then other people can really derail us in our process and make us question everything. In a funny way, it reminds me of when I was younger doing exams at university and I always made sure that I was just on time or late because I couldn't tolerate the conversation before about, have you studied? Have you not studied? Because it would make me really anxious and then I feel like I haven't done the right thing. And as soon as the exam finished, I had to just run because I couldn't deal with 
did you do question 14? What did you say? Because other people's feelings about things have a really big impact on the way that we move through the world. Absolutely. And I think there are particular circumstances and particular types of adversity that really bring out strong emotional reactions in people. And so obviously having cancer and having major health issues, you know, the people around you will be really scared about, you know, how long you might be around for and they have their own emotional content. Or I've got friends that have gone through divorce and, you know, that's something that people fear, having someone die around them or being made redundant or being fired. You know, there are certain things that people fear and if you're going through that, then when you're telling someone, they often dump their emotional issues on you. And I had a brilliant boss when I was sick and she knew I was really close to my team and she had a meeting with them before I came back so to take a few bits of time off. And she talked about this concept of the circle of dumping. And she said, now Beck's going through, has gone through a lot and she's just come back from surgery and I know you're very upset, but if you're upset about her being sick, you need to talk about that to someone else and not to Beck because you don't need to dump your issues or if you've had someone else who's had breast cancer because that's the other thing, people tell you their stories of, oh, my dad's had this and it's awful that other people have gone through that, but you were, I found myself counselling other people and so yet you're the one that's really struggling and so I think we have people around us who are struggling, how we contain our emotional response so we can best serve and help them is so important. And the circle of dumping goes away from the person. So if you want to talk about your challenges, it goes away from the person that's experiencing the adversity, not on them because they're going through enough. What a beautiful leader to have articulated that and given people a heads up because once someone says it to you, like, oh, of course I won't. Of course, now you say that, that makes complete sense. I don't want to add any more additional load. And this is the importance of these conversations because we don't know, we haven't been skilled in this area. But the more we know, we're like, okay, someone's going through a challenging time. How can I be helpful? And I love the term that you used earlier, precious people. What is a precious person? What are they doing? How can we be precious people in other people's lives? We can have the ability to deeply listen and be quiet and to ask questions, not for our own understanding, but to help the other person. And so I think often when we're displaying active listening, we might ask questions to help our own understanding. But actually, when we're listening and asking questions, it's thinking, well, what will help this person? And what helps this person is giving them the space to express. And it's not realizing that we can't fix the situation for the person and it's being okay with that. And so it's sitting in a sense of helplessness as a friend or a family member or a colleague and saying, I feel really helpless. I can't do anything, but I can sit with you and creates a safe space for you to express this, you know, whether it means listening to them crying or just speaking about whatever they're challenging with and not feeling like you have to come up with a solution because you can't make the situation better for them. And that deep empathy, you know, I had some people that really surprised me actually in my life that could demonstrate that and others who surprised me that couldn't demonstrate that as well. So it doesn't always have to be the person close to us. It can be someone that we know, you know, fairly well, you know, at work or that's a a friend but maybe not close. And sometimes that space means that they're not as emotionally connected with us and so it's almost easier for them to talk about their fears or their, uh, their feelings. 
Well, that's given us so much to think about how we can be that precious, safe, feeling person in other people's lives and how we can work on the skill of acceptance of the situation that other people are in. Because we often want to fix other people. We want to help them. That's what big-hearted people do is we want to help. But sometimes in our rescuing abilities, we can take over and the helping can be in just the sitting and creating that safe space. I, I can't tell you how much that helped me when I was really struggling. It makes such a difference because you feel heard and you experience such a range of emotions and it's really hard to process them all because they're quite intense. And I'm a big advocate for therapy. Like I did a lot of therapy through that time as well just to help me process my emotions and thoughts as I was going. But people around me that could help me do that, it were just, um, yeah, they were just precious people in my life. I'm so grateful that I had them. And so as we're thinking about moving from surviving to thriving, thinking about we can't control the future, we can't control life, but we can tap into our own agency to move away from this concept of biding time and move towards enjoying the time that we have and being really mindful about the people that we're surrounding ourselves with. Now in your daily life, what are the things that you do to maintain this thriving mindset? There are two types of practices I I put into place. So one is what I call physical practices, which allow me to connect to my inside self. So I do yoga and meditation every morning. So just 10, 15 minutes, sometimes five minutes if I don't have much time. But That's really important to connect in with how I'm feeling. And then at the end of the day, when I'm in bed, I have a journal and I write down what I'm grateful for. And I got really good at focusing on the small things. Like I've started noticing the small beauties in life, you know, like sitting in the sun for 10 minutes or having someone text me. You know, I started noticing the little things that when I was living my life on fast forward, I just missed because I was on hyperdrive. (laughs) So I still do that now because I feel like that gives me a sense of appreciation yeah, for life. And I also journal things that might be worrying me just to help me get a good night's sleep. So they're those practices, they're kind of physical practices. But the mindset um, practices are you know, over the last five years, I've focused on being what we call being more self-authored rather than being other-authored. I've worked on building a strong sense of self where I see my value And I'm able to give to myself and recognize my own worth. And I'm able to see that as separate from other people's expectations and thoughts of me. And so that has been an ongoing piece of work that I've been doing. Builds on Robert Keegan did some beautiful research in the space about adult development. But I love those terms being self-authored. And he says so many adults get stuck in being other-authored. And I was stuck because my life was authored by what other people thought of me and expected of me. And that's really common with people pleasers and people that are really kind, caring, empathetic, and they give, they give so much. And so that's a practice that's helped me thrive since I was sick. Um, But it's been a big work in progress to kind of unpick some of my unhelpful thinking patterns and limiting beliefs that I've had about how I add my worth. And I think particularly being able to separate, like literally untangle myself from other people's expectations and thoughts of me. So I can live a life that is authentically mine and it's very liberating to do that and that's really helped me thrive in my life. 
gosh, what a powerful idea to move beyond what will other people think towards what do I think? It's quite freeing. And I think that so many of us get locked in these cycles of being because we want to make other people happy and we don't make ourselves happy in the process though. And adversity can be a big opportunity for us because it shakes our life up. It makes us rethink everything. And when we're happy, it's great when we're happy in life, but we don't tend to make big changes then. We tend to make changes when we're really struggling because we've thought, oh, I can't go on like this anymore. I need to do something different. And so that creates this agency and this burning platform for change. And so that's well, how I've chosen to see adversity now is, oh, this, this helps me level up because I'm probably not going to level up when I'm you know, deliriously happy at times. <laughs> I'm just going to keep on doing the same thing. <laughs> Beck, to wrap up this beautiful conversation, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? I am. Absolutely. I am inspired by learning more about my cognitive and behavioral patterns, understanding myself more and being able to befriend myself. That's what I'm inspired by is becoming my own best friend. I know it might sound trite, but that's, that's really inspiring for me at the moment. When life feels hard. I've learned to go inward now and to focus on my reaction, my triggers rather than spending all my energy blaming the situation or the event or the person. I focus on what is this telling me about me that I can learn. An underrated skill is? Being comfortably afraid. Michelle Obama mentions that in her latest book and I really like that. Like how do you lean into the discomfort and be comfortably afraid and push yourself out of your comfort zone to change something that you're not happy with in your life? And I'm looking forward to? Future obstacles in my life because, as I've said before, I realise I make the biggest life changes when I'm going through a rough time. I think when you, I'm in my 40s now and I think there's beauty in being able to accept that that suffering is a part of life at times and we can learn so much from that and that will enable us to level up and that's what I'm looking forward to. What's my next, my next opportunity to take the next step up in my life? Thank you so much for sharing your story and for helping us move through adversity by deliberately shifting into this thriving mindset. And thank you for being guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast today. You're most welcome. It's been a delightful conversation. And to everyone out there, I say hello. And if you're going through a challenging time, it won't last forever. And there will be things you can learn that will help you be better off in the long run. I am so grateful that Beck was willing to share her story and what adversity has taught her along the way. I hope this conversation has inspired you to shift from a surviving to thriving mindset on purpose. To learn more about Rebecca and Thriving People Consulting, see the show notes for more details. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with anyone you know that would benefit from listening. Has the School of Wellbeing podcast had an impact in your life? We would love to hear from you. What have you learned? What action are you taking? What conversations did you have to go back and listen to a second time because they spoke directly to you? All you need to do is send an email or a voice message to hello at openmindeducation.com. To learn more about the ways that I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak, learn about my game-changing wellbeing programs or download my free five-step energy guide. 
You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 97. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week. Until then, take care and take deliberate action. Thank you.